First of all, recognize Karl Marx was actually a Jew by birth, but his father became Protestant. Likely as a result of that, Marx believed that religion was just a fraud. It wasn't genuine. You just used it to advance yourself in the world in some business capacity. Well, he was by some an atheist, as you heard Alex say, and I'm, Alex has convinced me, I believe it. Well, ultimately, there's a power in the universe that's opposing the Lord, and that is Satan. He is behind all these evil conspiracies. It would not surprise me at all. In fact, I agree with Alex that he was, in fact, a Satanist. Well, his stated goal was to destroy God and capitalism. He drank himself out of his first college as he was a law student. He wound up changing his major from law to philosophy. He wound up writing the Communist Manifesto in 1848. He married an aristocrat and bummed his existence off her family until they finally cut him off. He bummed off of his friends. He refused to get a job. He read books. He wrote and he sat at home or went to the bars. And then he blamed the situation on the environment. Remember, it's never your fault. It's always the product of the environment. It's not the person. It's the gun that's the problem. Well, the fact that he was impoverished was not because he refused to work. It was because of an evil society. In fact, he believed that the answer was communal living. Well, when you bring nothing to the table and you don't work and you don't have anything in your pocket, hey, communal living sounds like a great idea. You, let's put all of our resources in a pot and we'll all live off it. Now, I've got nothing to add, but I'll be glad to live off what you've earned. Well, Marx theorized that the root of all evil was this class system, the property owners that were taking advantage or oppressing the non-property owners, as he called it, the bourgeois and the proletariat. Now, remember the number 33, because there's two threes that you have to remember in Marxism. First of all, the tools of the state, according to Karl Marx, were the state, the church, and the family. Since Marx theorized that there was no God, actually he was a Satanist, he believed that the state was a creation of the property owners just to suppress the oppressed. He believed that the church was a creation of the property owners. There was no real God. There was no real resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just this theory created so the working man would stay suppressed. Such things as turn the other cheek. Such things as thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not kill. Those were just tools created so that the oppressors could take advantage of the oppressed. And then the family was another creation of the bourgeois to take advantage of the oppressed because the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and to his children's children. But if we don't have families, then there's no need for inheritance, no need for private property ownership. Now, I want you to think about this. We just said a moment ago, what are the three institutions that God established on planet Earth? What are the three institutions that Mark targeted to eliminate? Not just a coincidence. I think it's more evidence that Alex is spot on. Now, this explains why not just white businesses were burned to the ground, but black businesses were burned to the ground during the Black Lives Matter movement because it wasn't about black lives. It's about private property ownership. We want to eliminate private property ownership. That's why you saw white Antifa punks getting in the face of black police officers because police officers are extensions of the state, the creation of the bourgeois. It's not about Black Lives Matter. It's about private property ownership. That's why in Portland, you saw them burning Bibles. What in the world does that have to do with black lives? 
Absolutely nothing. But it's not about Black Lives Matter. It's about private property ownership and the tools that the bourgeois use, including this institution that we call the church. And that's why when you look on their website, they say one of our goals is to disrupt or destroy the Western prescribed nuclear family. Now, wait a second. How does that at all advance black lives? Well, it doesn't. But it's not about black lives. It's about Marxism. It's about private property ownership, the destruction of the state, the destruction of the church, and the destruction of the family. Now, remember the second three, the three-part plan of Marxism. There are three steps to destroy the existing state and replace it with their Marxist utopia. The first step is what's called perpetual conflict. Marx discovered and his goal was to create revolution. He thought that could be done by covetousness, the idea that you had oppressed, being the hardworking day laborers, being taken advantage of by their oppressors, being the property owners and the business owners. Well, Marx thought that he could create a revolution, that they would rise up, workers of the world, unite, and throw off this oppression. But the reality is, most people just wanted to make a couple extra dollars an hour. Once they got a pay raise, they didn't, weren't concerned about revolution. They went back to work. Well, that wasn't satisfactory. So Marx came up with the idea of paid agitators, paid, trained community organizers whose job was to continually stir up the strife. And please understand, as you're going to see in just a moment with an old axiom, the issue is not the issue. As you see right here, the issue is revolution. So they don't care whether it's school choice versus teachers union, LGBT versus straight, women versus men, uh, uh, open borders versus secure borders, pro-life versus abortion, uh, Occupy Wall Street with a 99% versus the 1%, or black versus white, or even mask versus non-mask, or vaccine versus no vaccine. They don't care what the issue is. As long as there's strife, they want perpetual agitation out of which they can birth the revolution. Now, we saw already several times, I showed you yesterday, Alex showed you today, that the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement identified themselves as being paid community organizers, trained Marxists. Let your ears perk up now whenever you hear that. Now, let me ask you a question. When is the first time you ever heard the term community organizer? First time I ever heard the term community organizer was with this young upstart who was now a state senator in Illinois running for the United States Senate. Oh, think of how the world would look if Mike Ditka had run for Senate that year in Illinois as he contemplated doing. Instead, he got elected. I'd never heard of a community organizer before. But understand, guys, this is, has nothing to do with race. We know factually Barack Obama's father was a card-carrying communist. We know factually that Barack Obama's mentor, Frank Marshall Davis, was actually a card-carrying communist. We know that Barack Obama's pastor, Jeremiah Wright, is a black liberation theology card-carrying communist. Obama is a communist. And he is a community organizer. And as we talked about the other day, you know what? When I played pro football, half of my teammates were black. 
I had Hispanic teammates. I had black teammates. I had white teammates. You know what we were? We were the Chicago Bears. And when we went out on the football field, that's what we were. We didn't have the black bears and the white bears. We were the Chicago Bears. And we were going to do our very best to beat your tail if we possibly could. And that's all that knit us together. When I played at Oklahoma State, there were five offensive linemen, two black, two white, one Mexican. You know what? We made fun of each other's race, and nobody took it personally. We had a good time together because we were teammates. And let me tell you, as I said yesterday, in 2008, you look at the data. We had 43% of white voters voted for a black president. Now, let me tell you, he ran as a Marxist. We're going to change America. Well, boy, I don't like the change. But they voted 43% for a black president. That is not evidence of a systematically racist country. But understand, the system has to be racist because the ultimate goal is to replace the system. So you can't acknowledge this. Yeah, there may be a racist over here or a racist over there, by the way, of every skin color. But we have to prove that the system is racist because the whole point is throwing off the system. Now, you look at where we were in 2008. We were largely a unified people. We had come together after 9-11. We were a patriotic people and seemed to be moving in the right direction. You know what? Some of the most popular stars in America. Uh, Steve, Cindy and I watch Steve Harvey every night on that, that game show he does. I forget the name of the game show. Family Feud. Love Family Feud. Very few shows you can watch anymore that are clean. We love Family You know what? I don't know if anybody told you, Steve, Steve Harvey's a black man. Who cares? He's a human being. He's a man. He's a talented man. One of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. Boy, I love the movie The Equalizer. I love movies like that. I love movies where for two hours you can watch the good guy killing the bad guy and you can leave with a smile on your face. Good guys win. Yay. You know what? We weren't systematically racist. We may have been 60 years ago, but we aren't. We weren't in 2008. But you look at how divided we are today with this critical race theory that's been brought into every platform of our government and been pumped through our universities and now in our public school system, which we know for a fact. And now look at how divided we are. Understand, perpetual conflict is the goal. Marx had this idea of, of class war, warfare, the bourgeois versus the, the proletariat. It doesn't matter. It was oppressors that were oppressing somebody. You had the oppressors and the oppressed. Now, after World War I, they came up with this idea of critical theory. You know why? Because this didn't work in America. In America, everybody owned property. How many of you have a cell phone? Guess what? You're a property owner. How many of you have your car in the parking lot? Guess what? You're a property owner. How many of you have a mortgage at the bank? Well, guess what? You're a partial property owner. The bank probably owns the majority of it, but we're all property owners. And that never worked here. So they had to create some system of agitation, anything. And that's what critical theory was. They don't care. There's got to be somebody that's oppressed and somebody that's oppressing them. So they came up with all sorts of possible groups. And by the way, as you heard a while ago with Bob McEwen, that's all about, you know what? When you're created in the image of God, you have unalienable rights because you are a human created in the image of God. But under Marxism, your rights come from what group you belong to. 
So we're concerned about sexual orientation and your rights, gender and gender identity in your rights, and income, and then you've got religion and oppression. Of course, Christians are always oppressing non-Christians, according to this theory, immigration status, all of this. And by the way, the more categories you fit into, then the more right you have to speak. That's called intersectionality. Hey, if you happen to be a black, lesbian, transgender woman, whatever that is, well, boy, you can check off a lot of boxes so when you talk, like the old E.F. Hutton commercials, everybody ought to listen. But if you're a white, male, Christian, monogamous, married man, well, your voice counts for nothing. And by the way, facts don't matter. All that matters is feelings. And the feelings of a black, transgender, bisexual woman matters more than the facts that I just presented a while ago that 43% of white men actually voted for Barack Obama in 2008. And when you, and by the way, the most, the, the most precious division, which you're going to hear from Stephen Broden here in a minute, all of these critical theory, but critical race theory. Boy, that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot in here in America, systematic racism. Now, when you're a white person and you concede that you are a racist because you were born white, then you are officially woke. And you can demonstrate your wokeness by such things as what the owner of Chick-fil-A did when he polished the shoes of this black rap star on public television, or when Congress gets down and kneels, or when uh, de Blasio gets out and paints a big BLM symbol out in the streets of New York. That's a demonstration of your being woke. So understand, Marxism opposites. We've got to create conflict. We've got to have perpetual conflict until there's revolution and you destroy the host. You destroy the body. In this case, you destroy our constitutional republic. And then you can replace it with our Marxist utopia. Now, here's the thing to remember. We begin right here with freedom. People own their own property. People make their own decisions about buying, selling, and working. Things that Bob shared with you earlier. The ultimate goal, genuinely, with Marx is communal living, where nobody owns anything. You saw the video from the World Economic Forum. By 2030, you'll own nothing, but don't worry, you're going to be happy. No, I'm pretty sure I won't. Now, how do you go from, I've worked hard, and I've built a business, and I've sacrificed for 40 years to build the Timothy plan, or to build whatever it is, and I've built this business with my own hands. I've worked hard. I've budgeted. I've sacrificed. I've paid off my house. I've left. A, I've got something, a nice nest egg to retire on, and one of these days, I'm going to leave it to my children. How do you go from here to saying, oh, never mind. I'm going to give it all away. Well, most people say, wait a second, that's not right. That's my stuff. I don't want to give it all away. Yeah, I give money to charity, but I don't want to give all my stuff away. That's where you've got to be encouraged to cooperate. That's why there's this temporary phase called, and I'm not kidding you, the dictatorship of the proletariat. Oh, don't focus on that word dictatorship. We're your dictator. We're the dictatorship of the proletariat. So in order to get from people owning their own stuff to nobody owns anything, you've got to go through this phase where the state owns everything. 
And since you don't get to keep anything of the fruit of your labor, you've got to be encouraged to get out of bed and go work hard eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours a day. That's where the state police come in so they can encourage you to get out of bed and go to work. And by the way, those of you that don't want to give away your business and give away your home, well, that also is where the state police and the people's army must come in to encourage you to contribute your fair share for the good of the collective. And the reality is, in all of these Marxist utopia, you never, ever get past the dictatorship of the proletariat. That's where it ends. So understand, the perpetual conflict has a goal. It's not going away until we, as the body of Christ, stamp it out. Then it'll go away, but not until then. The goal is friction and agitation until revolution. And you think about it, don't let them create hatred in your heart. I want justice, not social justice. I want biblical justice. And that's what we all must strive for. 